Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now this age of radio podcast is brought to you by the bazaar the Bazaar is the Age of Radio affiliate store, and right now, The Bazaar has a special offer on The Great Courses Plus. The Great Courses Plus is a subscription video on-demand service with thousands of in-depth videos taught by the world's greatest professors. You'll always find something fascinating to learn about. With categories ranging from history to travel and everything in between, there's something for everyone. If you go to ageofradio.org forward slash darkwindows, there's an offer to get The Great Courses Plus free for 14 days. Stay ahead in life. Start your access today with 11,000 plus video and audio lectures on a range of topics. I'm Kevin H. I'm Kevin C. And I'm a Seth. And this is the Dark, Dark Windows, Windows Podcast. So just a disclaimer, we are going to talk about some things that people might not be super comfortable with. We're going to use some language, a language that people are not going to be super comfortable with. That's adult language. So, Expletives. So sit back. Relax. And enjoy the show. Or not. That's cool, too. We want to start out by saying a special thank you to our sponsor, Studio Headphones. Studio offers some of the best quality sound and best-built headphones on the market without the outrageous prices that other brands offer. They offer a variety of different styles, including over-the-ear, wired earbuds, and completely wireless Bluetooth buds. The two newest models are the Klar, which are over-the-ear noise-canceling headphones that offer 30 hours of playtime. Hold on. 30 hours continuous playtime without being recharged. And the Tolve, which are totally wireless Bluetooth earbuds, that offer seven hours of playtime in a case that holds four additional charges for the buds. So check out studio.com where you will find some of the best quality headphones and earbuds on the market. And if you enter Dark Windows 15 at checkout, they will take 15% off your entire order. What's going on, everybody? Hey. What's up, Interneters? How y'all doing today? I'm great. How are you? Happy holiday to you all. Yes. Tired, but not bad. Decided today was a, a fine day to crack a cold beer. Spent a couple hours mowing the lawn. And you got it done before it started raining, too. So. Yeah, dude. I was, you know, finishing it up, and I was like, fuck, yes, it's raining. That means I can get the fuck inside and do nothing. So if you are hearing our voices right now. Yep. It's not Wednesday. That means that you're getting this on Memorial Day because yeah. this is our yearly Memorial Day special. So before we get going too far, 
Yo. Seth, you got some stuff you got to do quick. Uh, so, with it being Memorial Day and all that amazing stuff, some people have a long weekend, some people don't have a long weekend. Regardless, some people like to paint miniatures. With the painting miniatures, you know, there's always a fine detail that is really difficult to get. It takes multiple times and you just start getting frustrated and you start getting swearing and all this anger stuff. Or you're like me, you paint all that beautiful miniatures on it. On it? Hmm. That's a, one of our other sponsors. Anyway, so you paint all that detail on that miniature, and then stupidly, your finger goes across, and you erase all that detail yeah. because of the wet paint or whatever it. it is. You know what you need to do? Head on over to GameMV.net, home of the Hobby Holder. Hobby Holder is a two-in-one handle and base combination amazing tool for all your painting needs. The handle and the base are two separate parts, which allows the actual base, which is cross-threaded, to take any standard soda bottle cap and allows you to screw it on there with your miniature, which is attached via blue tag, poster putty, or whatever it is, and then gives you 360-degree rotation. Because the base and the handle are two separate components, you can actually spin it around. So you can mug hold it. You can even hold it like a regular cup of coffee, whatever. It doesn't matter. The best part about it is these components come in a variety of different colors, and there's also base mods. There's a variety of awesome stuff at GameMV.net. Now, take all that fun stuff, put it in your checkout cart, put in the promo code BROADSTONE at checkout, and guess what? You get yourself 10% off the entire order. Why? Because we love you! Yes, we do. Yeah. So, what uh, what era are you guys doing um, veterans from for this year, since we haven't really talked about it much? That era. So, mine is from World War II. So is mine. So, we can go from there. Okay. Or... Mine is World War One. Okay, so I guess you're going first. In the Great War. Or I can go first because I throw a little bit of a wrench in things, and as we alluded to before, the last episode, mine's a lady. Okay. So if you want to lead us off, Seth, uh, go right ahead, man. Yeah, absolutely. So like usual, like the last time we did uh, you know, the badass, I picked a guy that wasn't the typical badass because he wasn't proud of anything he did. He wanted to push everything off. Felt like for this time around, I had to do something different, and I decided to choose a female, a woman. Oh, sweet. Got her first so, badass set. Yeah, and the reason why I chose her was not just because of a massive courageous act or anything of, you know, the standard stereotypical badassery. I picked this woman because she actually revolutionized how the idea or the act of evacuating wounded soldiers from the front line. Really? It's because of her that a lot of the care that we enact now to removing, you know, wounded warriors or soldiers or just anybody off the front lines is because right. of her her doing no nice. and all of her hard work. No shit. So uh, what, who is this lady we're about to talk so about? So this wonderful human being is Elsie Ott. Elsie Ott was born in 1913. Is that O-T-T? Yes. Okay. Yep. Absolutely. So she was born in 1913 in Smithtown, New York. Uh, after completing high school, she attended Lenox Hill Hospital School of Nursing in New York City. That name was really long. Wow. <laughs> it's a mouthful. <laughs> yeah. And also being a female, it was one of those things that it was, for her, it was an uphill battle because typically the medical field during this era yeah, was very was, male dominated yep. and women were just seen as, aren't you sweet? Go sit over there in the oh, corner. Oh, you're a nurse. Here's, here's some paperwork. Yeah. There you go. I'm going to go smoke my cigarette while I take care of this person. Hey, hey, that's back in the day when you could smoke in hospitals because doctors knew it was good for you. Exactly, though. But to be fair, also, there was, you know, less chemicals. Anyway, we're not going to talk about that. I'm so, going to write you a prescription. I need you to smoke three packs of Marlboro menthols a day. It'll and, clear uh, that chest cold right up. I also need you to take uh, Snort This Coke. Yeah. And also, here's some booze. Cheers. Co- what's the cocaine for? Two things. 
Oh, could you imagine? Maybe. That, that's Ugh. what it was. I, I know, but could you just yeah. imagine? Oh, my teeth feel better. Everything else feels great. <laughs> I actually can't feel my teeth. What? Fuck it. Yeah, I was gonna say, why do your teeth feel better? Because I can't feel them at all. It's awesome. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go run across the the river. What? Don't worry about it. Anyway, let's get back to talking about this wonderful person. Y'all got any more of that laudanum? Stop your itching. <laughs> back to back to this badass set because you know she deserves all the respect that we're gonna give her. So. After she, you know, graduated from nursing school and she decided that, you know what, I'm going to go right into the field. She worked in various positions at different hospitals before she actually ended up joining the Army. Right. And the part of the Army she joined was the Army Nurse Corps in September 1941. After some time, she was actually given the position of second lieutenant after entering the corpse, which is like a short time after. No sh- wow. So it's like, okay, you do this. And then it's like, wow, this woman is doing an amazing work. Her her work ethic is top notch. And all of the people she's taking care of have nothing but great things to say about her. And to hit the, the rank of lieutenant that quickly, that's something else, yeah. especially for a, a woman at the time, you know? Yeah. Uh, from there, Odd immediately went on assignments in Louisiana and Virginia before making her long journey to... Qureshi, India. So while being at Qureshi, this is where her notoriety for what she became known for mm-hmm. started to grow in advance. While in India, as part of the first ever intercontinental air evacuation assignment, Crow. <laughs> You're going to say inter- intercontinental championship. Dude, match. I came close to it. I came close to it. <laughs> she is a she badass. Was, she was the first women's intercontinental champion. <laughs> so this is actually where things get a little interesting. She was assigned this mission with only 24 hours notice and had zero evacuation training and had never flown on an airplane before. Jesus. So this was like first time for everything for her. God damn, man. And apparently she handled it very well because on January 17th, 1943, she served as an in-flight nurse for five soldiers during a week-long venture trip previously only had been accomplished by ship. So this week long of evacuating wounded warriors mm-hmm. normally was done via ship. Right. She was the, one of the first people on this plane that was flying them from point A to point B. So from the front lines to a actual hospital. No shit. Which at this time was seen like, holy shit, this is insane. And for someone that's never been on a plane before, she handled it like a fucking champ. Jesus. Wow. So as I said, this normally would have been via sea or by water, which would have taken over three months. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, it's a long, long fucking trip on a boat. This And what was amazing was this flight was 100% a complete success. Odd actually helped transport all these wounded soldiers from Qureshi all the way to Walter Reed Hospital in Washington, D.C. So that makes sense with it being yeah, over fuck, three months. I was, yeah, I was, I was going to say, because I think it took about a month to get from, was, or was it less than a month to get from New York to England in a, in a ship? Um, yeah, I'm not because I know when when, our, when we were sending guys over during World War II, it was like a couple of weeks on at yeah, sea to get there. A couple there. weeks, yeah. at least. Which I mean, that's that's fucking crazy. And again, it was one of those things. It's amazing that for people that have never really been on a plane before, and for her not knowing really what's going on, she just had nursing experience and decided to help out with the army. She was just thrown right into the fire, and she came out looking like a phoenix, man. Like she wow. rocked this. Fuck, dude. So with the success of this flight and knowing that she had to lock all this information and everything she learned from this flight, she was like, okay, knowing that they had clean towels, clean blankets, they had water, they had food, they had IVs, they had everything. Mm -hmm. She took very meticulous notes in her notebook and created a vast log that later on would be 
reference to as other people would fly wounded warriors from the battlefield or the front lines to a hospital. Mm. Um, she listed what would have been more beneficial and made suggestions of like, okay, we should eliminate this because this will help this. Okay. So eliminate, say, we don't need packs of cigarettes in a, in you know, as much as it is as a comfort, we don't need cigarettes in a plane because everyone's breathing this. And if someone's having an infection or trouble breathing, right, they're going to have to deal with not having their cigarettes for a little bit while two other people who are like really doing horrible, we shouldn't have them on there. But making sure that, you know, they have clean towels and clean blankets and the medical staff have clean hands is more important. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And then from there, she also made suggestions for future evacuations. So how the medical team on the front lines, how they could make the trip more easier too. Mm -hmm. So instead of just on a cot or, you know, on the typical way of here's a, here's two sticks and here's some fabric, call it good. Yeah. No, actually having someplace where they can lay that was sturdy, that was stable, that again, taking care of them, give them preventative measures. So when they get on the plane, all we have to do is maintain as much as it sucks. And it's hard to do on the battlefield, but working in conjuncture with each other rather than, you do a little bit, now I'm going to take over, and then the hospital does the rest. Right. It's now, let's move A and B and C work together to complete this goal of making sure this person survives and has no long-lasting effects, if any. So instead of having it be like just a transport to get these people out, she turned it into more like a flying hospital. Essentially, yes. That's pretty yes. fucking cool. Because, as I said before, she wanted to make sure there was more uh, than the standard basic amount of bandages that there was more antibiotics and, you know, things that were needed to disinfect and keep the body clean or mm -hmm. wounds clean. She wanted to make sure it was blankets because a lot of times at the high altitude, yeah. people would be oh, cold because really cold. there was really little to no heat. Uh, making sure there was oxygen because at this point, depending on how much blood loss there is, you need oxygen. Right. Also, if depending on how high up you go, and these things were mobile tin cans, yeah. essentially take a beer can. That's what you have. Yeah. Yeah. And huck it through the air. So making sure they could take in fresh air. Even something as simple as a pillow would make the difference rather than laying flat on a cot or flat on the floor. Just elevating the feet yeah, to just help eliminate, you know, uh, swelling the feet or elevating the head to give them a little like sense of comfort. Yeah, a little bit of little comforts go a long way in a situation like that. So with all this success of this one particular flight, two months after this, she was awarded the first ever air medal for being a woman. So no essentially, let me reword that again. She was awarded the first air medal was presented to a woman. Wow. And I'm sorry for missing that up, but it was just amazing because she was the very first person for this. Wow. That's fucking so, awesome, man. And due to her, like, strategies, you know, <laughs> yeah. sorry, that's a little callback to something else. Listen back to the other episodes. But due to her, like, hard work and determination, a lot of what we know of now and a lot of our soldiers now who leave the front lines or leave battlefields mm -hmm. is directly a result of her like working and understanding what these people need. Yeah. You know, rather than just being a basic troop transport. See you later. We hope you survive. It's no, it's we have continuous work to do. There's no stopping what we have to do. Shit, yeah. Man. That's, and, that's awesome. Uh, sadly, in 2006, she did pass away. Um, it, all the research I couldn't find where or anything of the sort. Just that she went peacefully and she made like with made a huge footprint and made a huge step forward in the medical field in the military and then decided, you know what? After my time, I'm backing away. 
and she just you know wanted to live life as a normal person and was happy that she made a difference. Wow. So that is our first badass set, and I I'm happy that I found her. I, I would I would put her up on the level with like Florence Nightingale, who kind of did the same thing, but during the Civil War. Well, he he kind of kind yeah. of gave me a, a you jogged a, jogged a memory in my mm-hmm. brain because just recently, February of this year, actually, the highest ranking women's women's officer just passed away. Yeah, yeah, Major General Millicent uh, Harris. Jordan Harris. Wasn't she like a general? Major general, yeah. Yeah. Because I was looking at her too and I was like, no. And then I found this woman. I was like, she's the reason why medical wise everything's evolved. And I'm like, that's amazing. But she she became the first air – this woman, Major General Harris, she became the first woman woman to be an aircraft maintenance officer. Again, One of the first two women air officers commanding in the U.S. Air Air Force Academy – and the first woman deputy commander for maintenance. She also served as White House social aide and during the Carter administration. So, so that, that would have been like 79-ish, somewhere uh, in that neighborhood? Yeah, late 70s, early. Yeah. So did, are you doing a badass set too? No. Oh. No, but that's just, but just that's a memory. And that's what I'm saying is like a lot of this, and don't get me wrong, I have family who served in the military, and we all have, and it's like I want them – memorialize those people those men mm-hmm. but we can't forget the women like exactly. my grandmother was a nurse during world war ii she pretty much just worked in the hospital and that was it and that's how she met my grandfather but it's we can't forget those women's hard work and sacrifices Absolutely. because without them a lot of times who knows like my grandmother helped nurse my grandfather back to life after you know getting blown up in a tank yep. and it's like these women fought just as hard and it may not way. have been the front lines but it's because of them that we have a lot of what we have now yep Absolutely. So yeah, like I said, you know, I was as soon as you started talking about her, and I was like, you know, I was like, holy shit, you know, she she is a bat, she is a badass, and yeah, she deserves, you know, every bit of it. But I was like, wait a minute, I did hear about another one, you know, that I was like, wow, I kind of jogged in memory because I was like, wow, that's that's kind of interesting. But for her to to do what she did, kind of was like. Above, above and beyond the, yeah, because the, the, the standard for the time. Yeah, because normally they were just there as like I'm. We reenacted right there. It's just you hand something off. There you go. That's all you got. Oh, yeah. go get me a blanket. Go get me this tool. And she's like, they're meticulously taking notes of like what I need to do. What do I need to do? How can I help out? What, Keeping what inventory else and like and, streamlining everything too. Which... And I also have to give credit to her, you know, commanding officer and her superiors for taking that into account to make like growth and evolve their their profession yeah because they could be like yeah okay whatever you're a woman who cares and stereotypically been the said in the sexist answer but they took it and realized she's exactly right we do need to do this yep this is exactly right we need to do this okay i do see this but we will get to that point if we need to Mm -hmm. but this is more important like a pillow yeah like that's one of the things that always gets me is like just the simplicity of a pillow or a blanket gives these people the sense of comfort to make them feel comfortable right to help them feel safe and you know in a in a safe environment yeah and she had to have been a very strong world oh. woman did to it to go to medical school in the early 1900s yeah, and 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 succeed and to, go in the military and then go in the military and then basically push her way to um to where she got to be because i mean most most women i, I 
you know, I don't know, maybe speak out of my ass here, but I'm pretty sure most women that were nurses weren't that close to the front line. They were, no, they, they were, were way usually back. back in like hospital zones yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah, I mean, yeah, definitely way back. But I mean, another thing is you got to think about the constitution this woman had. Where you're seeing these guys that are coming onto an airplane and they are fucking destroyed. Like, some of them are blown up, they're missing shit, and she's like, this sucks, but I'm going to help these people. Yeah, and this was just five. This doesn't, like, this, what I gave was the account of just one of her flights. This was only of these of these gentlemen. Wow. Not the other ones. Not the other ones that she was a part of. Not the other one, like, she saw on the front line that weren't able to make it on the plane. Mm-hmm. Or the ones when they went back again and she saw. This was just because this event is what made everybody think and it's like i don't know if i had the strength to do that and for her to be like stay calm and take valid notes like you can i wasn't able to really find the entire log but you can still find some of the notes that she took Mm -hmm. and it's fascinating to see just what she wrote and it's like i gotta pick her because this is the fucking shit that you know gives me the warm and tingles yeah of yeah everybody wants a john rambo and everybody wants you know you know Dutch from Predator that can just mow down everybody, <laughs> yeah. like we talked about before. You know, someone who ain't got time to bleed. Pretty much. <laughs> Blaine. <laughs> but it's just one of those things that it's like to see this is just like, this is why I love, you know, our military forces. This is the reason why days like this are so important is because any other time, her she would have been glossed over. Yep. But like finding this is like, I hope more people in not just our female listeners, but our male listeners too, go out and... Find a female veteran and just say thank you. And you, know, you can't... because they fight just as hard. They may not do as much. And I know people say we don't need women in the military. Well, I hate to tell you, there was a woman in the Civil War that dressed up as a man who went and fought as a man. They found out she was a woman and then went in as a spy to go against the uh, the uh, the Confederates. They're, they're... And she like was able to find so much information and relay it back. It's because of her that a lot of the like information we got during a couple battles was because of what she was willing to do and we, sacrifice. We need to do an episode of just badass women. I'm game. I already have because a handful of them. There's, I have there's some that are alive. That was, that was similar to hey. that. The Revolutionary War, I'm sorry. Veterans Day. That's what it is. There we go. Okay, I'm cool with that. Because I have... Right here, I have folks. ones that are, like, women that are alive that are still kicking ass and taking names and ones that have passed away that were kicking ass and taking names. Yeah. That yeah. didn't need to do this, but they decided, you know what? Fuck this. I'm going to make a difference. And I've got one that doesn't really fit into either one of those categories. So you be the oddball this time. We're going to talk about her. She'll be like a special mention on there because the story's kind of short. But I think we each one of us can find a badass woman to cover for Veterans got, Day. I already got three. So what? So yeah, yeah, guys. That's, I mean, that's awesome, dude. That's, you know. And I, actually, I think you should go next because I think you have another first for the show. I do. Yeah. So we're going to... Well, and like I said, just because she's a lady, we got to, you know, be a, be men. Although she probably like, fuck you, I got my own door, bitch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, now so, I'm ready. I'm ready to so hear yeah, yours. I, I'm, I'm super excited because I had him on a list of people and I, was sh- I showed Kevin and I'm like, like, dude, we should do a full episode on this guy. And he goes, I got it. Yeah. <laughs> just kind of oh. took it around. I'm like... Oh, was, Kevin's getting ready. He's got, it was, it he's was got just the one of those. Ready. It was one of those names that I saw on like a list of like veterans. Like I didn't do any looking into it. I just saw his name and I fucking wrote it down to put it in a list. Dude, I totally I get like, it. That's a lot of yeah. what I do is I pick the name and then I read a brief synopsis on him. And I'm like, yep. Well, now yeah, all the hype. Let's get into him. Let's yeah. fucking do this. Let's my, do this, kid. So my badass that I'm covering from this Memorial Day, 2019 is Henry Lincoln Johnson. Oh, that's a great name. Yes. Yeah. Not liver eating, but it's still a no. Johnson. Mm. He was born 
around night, uh, July 15th of 1892 in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. Okay. He moved to New York when he was a teenager. He worked several jobs during this time. He worked as a coffer soda mixer. Really? Yep. I want to be a soda mixer. Okay, what the hell is a coffer exactly? <coughs> Good enough. <laughs> uh, I think it's uh, – I'm not – you know what? Not really sure. You know what? I won't be an asshole. I'll just look it up. Get on that, <laughs> Jamie. Uh, he also was a laborer, laborer in a coal yard. And oh, so this guy's a real man. Yeah. And he also worked as a red carpet porter. Uh, red, not red carpet. Red cap porter in Albany's Union Station. So he's close to home for yeah, us. Yeah, fairly close. Yeah. Couple hours. Yeah. Yep. Uh, he listed in the army on June fifth, nineteen seventeen. He was assigned to. Oh, that's not a good time to go into the army. <laughs> yeah. Well, it depends though. Oh. If it, there's a situation going on and they got the, they've got the the feeling of like they need to do make a change and they gotta they gotta serve. Now, did he go voluntarily or was he drafted? No, he went voluntarily. Okay, okay. So uh, fucking yeah, there here's there you go. That's already badass card enough for you. Yeah, I volunteered for World War One, yeah. pussy. Anyone that <laughs> volunteers for war to go fight, I crack a beer open for yeah. you. He was assigned to Company C of the 15th New York Infantry Regiment oh. of the 93rd Division American Expeditionary Forces. So I take it from Kevin C.'s exhalation that this is something badass about to can, happen. Can I guess? Well, this unit, let him have let no let him have the ESPN moment. Do it, okay? I'll, ESPN. I'll cut this if it's wrong. Was he one? Of, was he in the Harlem Hellfighters? Yes. Fuck Whoa! Yes! Boom. They were fucking badass, yeah. dude. All right, we're this, ready. This unit Ooh, was an all-colored. Getting the tingles. Getting the tingles. <laughs> right now, we all got the goosebumps because we got some fucking badassery. We're only man number two. We're not even through his full story. Hey, we got awesomeness going on. He was. It was. It was an all-colored regiment, and the regiment would later become the 369th uh, Infantry Regiment, which yeah. you know, as Kevin said, it's the. They Harlem fucking Hell. got the nuts, bro. Well, they got fucking nuts. Anyone, Get the fuck out of here. Anyone who he, played he, Battlefield 1 will know yeah. this because that is the the Harlem Hellfighters is that yes. first little section that you played Yeah, that they didn't make even remotely long enough for the rest of the game. Because, because they like, knew what would happen if they did. Fucking all hell would break loose. <laughs> be like, holy yeah. shit, this is real. Dude, but oh, fuck, yes. Fuck, yeah, dude. Uh, so Mr. Johnson served his tour of duty from uh, 1918 to 1918 yeah, to 1919. On the western front of the Argonne Forest of France's Campaign region. And actually, funny thing is, I saw that. I went, oh, that's fucking kind of cool. Because guess what? My family's from that region. No, no shit. Really? That's, that's, that's actually the, that hmm. technically, <laughs> technically, that's their last name. <laughs> well, it was fate drawing you to it then. Yeah, that's true. Got awesome. <laughs> I was, I was going to say the Aragorn Forest, but I wasn't quick enough. Not Aragorn. <laughs> Way to make a Lord of the Rings joke, you nerd. Some, Didn't even make it hey, right. He actually fixed it for you. Same difference. It was the same person. Somebody Plus, had to do it, though. Get up on this eh, shit. It's all right. <laughs> he, his regiment was ordered into battle in 1918, where they, and they were, they were very, very poorly trained. Because, well, they were... Seen as cannon fodder. All black. Yeah. This is you know. a sad time. They were just seen as cannon fodder. Like, they were... Put them up there. Whatever happens, happens. They'll run out of bullets on them, and then well, we'll keep going. Also... This fucking sucks. They, they were also seen like women of the time. Okay? Yeah. This is kind of where it, it goes hand in hand, because... If you they, skin ain't white, you ain't worth it. If you yeah. ain't a male, you ain't worth it. Well, 
It fucking sucked, but it's yeah, the truth. Because, I mean, they were seen as, well, they can't be anything more than mechanics, chefs, laborers. Uh, laborers. You know, they couldn't be anything else. They didn't want them on the front line because they didn't trust them on the front line. Mm-hmm. They, they, th- they didn't think they could do as much. Well, it turns out they're fucking wrong because in the Civil War, uh, Fuck. there was a whole They had more units. of a reason to fucking fight than now, anybody else. To play devil's ad- advocate for a second, nobody during World War One was really, really well-trained anyway. But these, yeah, guys, a lot were, of... these guys were lesser well, so. Well, th- the thing is, they weren't as well-trained because this was the first battle, first war, technically, yeah. that we had had... And I'm not even going to say because the Spanish-American War, because that was really basically a certain someone just wanted to get their jollies off. Yeah, we won't mention names there. Dude, it was Teddy Roosevelt kicking ass and taking names is what it was. (laughs) No, taking asses and kicking names. He He don't care about your fucking name. He He just wanted to kick your ass in. Whatever. Well, whatever. Kicking ass and kicking names? Yeah, sure. I'll allow it. Knuckles. Bam. (laughs) Because, you know, he just kind of wanted to... To go out and do something, so he said, "Fuck it, I'm gonna go make up something, or I'm gonna just, we're just gonna go with San Juan Hill, you know, we're just gonna yeah. go have some fun, shoot some Indians, um, we're gonna get some shit done." So, you know, this was the real first battle, you know, first war that we have gotten into since the Civil War. Yeah, I mean, so well, yeah, yeah, first Civil War since Civil War. Um, his, so, like I said, his regiment was ordered into battle. They were poorly trained. They mostly performed menial labor, like unloading ships, digging latrines, you know, all that. Then they were like, well, we need you, boys. Yeah. We're bringing in Lefty. Come on, let's go. You yeah. know. So, we they, need We need bodies. Get your asses out here. But, well, they weren't put on the normal lines. They weren't put no. on the regular lines. No, no, they were not. No, they were put on the front line. Yeah. Hey, guess what? Here's the fire. Go jump through it. We're going to put you on the front line way the fuck out in right field with nobody yeah. around. <laughs> and you know what I'm going to say right now? Even though they knew that was going to happen, again, they still fought like nobody's business. Mm-hmm. True. They still fucking show that they had the biggest stones of them all. They were lent out to the French 4th Army, which hmm. was um, kind of like a, it was a French colonial unit. That was tasked with patrolling the front lines. So I almost wonder if that's like a related or a forerunner to like the French Foreign Legion. Could be. Because I know like the, the Foreign Legion, they, they take fucking all comers if, if you're interested in joining. Do they all even take yeah. if you're not a, not wanting to join? <laughs> that's true. Well, <laughs> there are certain people that were forced to join because yep. it was either that or jail time. True. Anyway, true. we're not talking about that. I want to hear more no, about this guy. But, but it, it, it does it, tie it in. It tie, ties in because... Yes. Well, they were, you know, they took anybody. Well, yeah. they didn't give a shit what color your skin no. you were. Hey, can you, you fight? Know? Can you hold a gun? Can hey, you can hold you kick uh, ass? Rifle. Yeah. Yes. Good, because we, we drop them and run. Sends them up. <laughs> you fight for us, we run and jump. Actually, in all fairness, this is back when the French were still badasses, because they fought like a motherfucker in World War One. Yeah, dude. Yes. World I, War Two. they were just like, wait, did you, did you say Germany? Oh, no, no, we're... Uh, duh, motherfuckers! We're tapping out already. <laughs> duh, instead of deuces. <laughs> No, because huh? at oh, the end, end of this war, they were like, uh, yeah, you fucked on us last time, so we're going to fuck on you this time. <laughs> <laughs> fuck on me? Who are you fucking on me for? How do you say you want to fuck on me in French or German? I'm Easy. curious. Uh, they're on fuck on me. 
<laughs> fuck it. Yeah. Jesus. Anyway. Fuck it. So anyway. Oh, prefaces right now. As you can tell, there's a lot of banter right now because this is a good time to just have fun. Yeah. This is supposed to be a banter heavy episode. Exactly. Like, the hell with you. Anyway. Exactly. So we're, we're going to. So they, unlike us, pretty much preoccupied by race. They didn't give a rat's ass. They said, fuck yeah. Yep. you. We want you. Come on over. You, you can fucking hang out with the boys, play some football, you know. Soccer? That's soccer for everyone else. <laughs> 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 Love you, Europeans, and everyone else that's not American. They, Cheers. They they welcomed the men known as the Harlem Hellfighters, you know, who fucking Such a fucking ass. badass name. Okay, spoiler alert, this is going to be its own episode. Yeah. Oh, yeah, we got it, dude. We they, can p- each pick a Harlem Hellfighter. Dude, well, just I picked one. Sorry. Doing the, so. No, doing, no, you're picking another. Just covering the story of what they went through yeah. and the shit they did. Motherfucker, they were bad. That's what I'm saying. They Ooh. got the biggest stones of them all. Whew. So right. they were sent to the uh, outpost number 20 of the Argonne Forest to patrol. Uh, so one night, uh, it was actually May 15th of 1918, Johnson and his a fellow soldier named Private Needham Roberts were out patrolling. His first name was Needham? Yep. That's fucking awesome. <laughs> well, glad you don't need him. That's a great name. That's, that's one of those names you need don't him? No, hear. I have him. You know, you don't hear it anymore. It's pretty fucking great, though. They, yeah, they, they were they were sent <laughs> that night. They were put on sentry duty, sent out on patrol uh, with French helmets, French weapons, and they were given enough French uh, words Jeez, to smell bad to understand commands from their superiors. Enough French bread and wine. Yeah, <laughs> you need baguette. Now you can get properly drunk on the front line. Hey. Why do I go Quebec for some reason? That's I don't the know. French we know. Never mind. Yeah, never mind. <laughs> it's all right. Don't worry about it. They don't care. Oui, oui. Oh, <laughs> Enchanté. Je ne sais quoi. <laughs> Parlez-vous français? Non. Je m'appelle Seth. Uh, oui. Fais-moi un sandwich, la chienne. Uh, fromage. That's cheese. I yeah. <laughs> I had, make me a sandwich, you bitch. Yeah. Anyway, continue. <laughs> He only under you know only spoke enough French to yeah, to <laughs> command to to go between his superiors. Yeah, but they said, "Hey, yeah. you know, how, how walk much that fr- way? How much French you know? Fuck, shit, ass, cunt, slut." <laughs> we covered the bases. <laughs> I'm punchy, guys. I've had two beers in me already. He he wasn't fluent, but he knew enough to be dangerous. Is what you're <laughs> yeah. trying to say. I speak good English and bad French. <laughs> Ooh, bad English and bad French, even more. Johnson himself thought it was crazy in quotes to send untrained men out at the risk of the rest of the troops he later told a reporter that he as being a corporal he tackled the job didn't matter <laughs> they received a surprise attack by a german raiding a german raiding party consisting of at least 12 soldiers after shots rang out johnson and roberts lined up a box of grenades oh, in, shit. in their dugout to have well a little bit of fun, I believe. And <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like our neck of the woods. Oh, I got grenades. What do you want to do? Oh, I got some ideas. Uh, you know. Ready? Pull. <laughs> oh, shit. Anyway, sorry. No, it's cool, dude. <laughs> so at just after 2 a.m., Johnson heard snip and clip. Wait, what? Snip and clip. Okay. Which is the sound of wire cutters, as you said, on the perimeter fence. Uh, he told Roberts to run back to the camp to let the French troops know that they were in trouble. Johnson then hurled a grenade toward the fence, 
which brought a volley of return fire from the Germans. The goddamn Krauts! <laughs> <laughs> and not only did they have throw, well, rounds at him, they also threw grenades. Fuck. Fuckers. They still this. I think they had, like, the potato mashers back then, too, still. Like, the big uh, fucking wooden handles. Maybe. Yeah. Uh, Roberts didn't get a fair uh, far before he decided to return to help. Uh, help Johnson with the fight. But... He was hit by a grenade and wounded too badly in his arm. Oh, he to do any fighting. Holy shit. So t- Johnson told him to lie in the trench, told Roberts to lie in the fr- trench and just basically feed him grenades. <laughs> you know? Yeah, dude. That guy's awesome. Like, I'm fucking wounded. Okay, just give me grenades, man. Don't worry about it, bro. I got you. Feed me grenades. I'm going to throw them. Ready? Yeah. You know, set, hike. Cheat. <laughs> no, it's probably more like, whoop. Little side toss like you're tossing somebody a beer. Pull the pin. Well, one time it at him. <laughs> Barely touches his hand and it's already going again. Oh, can you imagine he just tosses it and that guy just like overhand swats it like in volleyball? Swat! Uh-huh. Poof! <laughs> Toss him! Poof! Nice. Oh, fuck. But sadly, there were too many soldiers oh, and no. they advanced from every direction. Johnson ran out of grenades. He took German bullets in the head and in the hip, but fuck, fired his dude. rifle into the darkness. After he getting took- shot in the fucking head. Yeah. Did he have, he obviously must have had his helmet on, or it must oh, have been yeah. grazing shots. Yep. Fuck. He okay. took more bullets to to his side, then to in his hand. He Dude, kept firing. It's like a shooting. movie. Yeah, he kept shooting and shoved a American cartridge clip into his French rifle, and it jammed. Because oh, you know, he had the wrong cart. Yeah. yeah fuck. God damn it! But now the Germans were on top of him. Johnson swung his rifle like a club. He kept swinging his rifle at them. Until the bu- the stock of his rifle splintered. <laughs> That's fucking okay. Holy let's shit. okay. A little bit of backstory. Those stocks are hard wood. Yeah. Those are like legit. It's not like the particle board shit that we have no. nowadays. That's like take an old school bat and then swing it. That's like fucking like oak or something. Like it's usually a hickory yeah. or something. Holy shit, dude. Jesus. Yeah. And he so, splintered it like he hit a fucking 350-foot yeah. homer. <laughs> he <laughs> did a walk-off. All fucking shot to shit and fucking cracks this guy. And everyone else is like, no, well, let's walk away. <laughs> he hits the last year and fucking flips it. And, and just points. <laughs> <laughs> Fuck, no, dude. Fucking Jose Batista of killing Germans. <laughs> wait, wait. Did he call his shot? <laughs> I think he did. I think when that fucking jammed, he just pointed at the one crowd motherfucker that came here and was like, I'm going to break your fucking face. <laughs> you stay yeah. right the fuck there. I'm reloading this. <laughs> <laughs> but, well, <laughs> but they've got the wrong cartridge. I don't. Okay, fine. Fuck it. You're taking the buttstock, motherfucker. Bitch, I'll throw bullets at you. I don't care. Yeah. He just flicks them like how you flick those coin things you used to do. <laughs> well, he didn't do that because. I know. We, he went down with a blow to his head. Fuck. And overwhelmed, he saw the German soldiers were trying to take Robert's prisoner. Well, the only weapon he had left was his bolo knife. Oh, my so fucking God. He climbed up from the ground and charged, attacking the Germans before they could get a clean shot at him. This is... Okay, so... I'm not going down without a fight, motherfuckers! <laughs> is this, I'm going to put this on record. If your last name is Johnson, you're already at... <laughs> level. Soon you're going to tell me this guy ripped off another motherfucker's leg and beat another motherfucker with it. No, we, we've got to find a Johnson for the show that's a total pussy now, because this is not... Good that. luck! <laughs> Good fucking luck right Damn, now. Damn, dude. Holy shit. Okay, I wish I actually had a count. How many times did this man get shot? Like a half a dozen times? A dozen? Uh, close to a couple it, times yeah. in the head. You know, it took well, body uh, shots, actually, hit shots. I'm going to tell you. Okay. So. Sorry. No, that's fine. It's cool. 
you know, you're, you're trying to count him. Dude, I'm like, this man is a fucking solid champ. He is. Fuck, uh, you know, the North Hollywood cunts. We got this fucking guy that keeps getting peppered with shit. He's still coming back <laughs> for this, more. If this guy showed up in North Hollywood, he would have bitch slapped both of them. Just <laughs> yeah, they would have peppered and be like, motherfucker, I'm a superhuman. I'm unbreakable. Get the fuck out of here. You boys go home and go to your fucking rooms. <laughs> exactly. Yes, Dad. No, because he would have slapped the cops and be like, no. pussies. What he would have done is fucking grabbed a fucking old school fucking M1 Grand, walked up as he's getting shot and just fucking cracked skulls with it. <laughs> They, they, Give me another grand right now. See, beats Money? Larry Phillips Jr. to death with a tire iron in the parking lot. Just fucking hulking out, fucking smashing back. You see, the thing was, if you know, if he had showed up on scene as you know, if he was a cop, he'd have been like, "Wow!" No, I see him not fucking grunt. I just see him fucking screaming obscenities. You fucking motherfucker! You done fucked up right you now. You Russian piece of shit! Come here! Okay. Oh, I love episodes well, like this. He. He later gives re- recounts a quote that um, well he he does give he gives a quote recounting the the attack and he said quote each slash meant something believe me I wasn't doing exercises let me tell you oh shit <laughs> dude so he stabbed one German in okay. the stomach got that fell oh. the lieutenant and took a pistol uh, pistol shot to his arm okay there's after one he fell that before driving his knife. Between the ribs of a soldier, so that's who he's taken out on his back. Johnson's uh, Johnson managed to drag Roberts away from the Germans, who retreated <laughs> as they heard French and American forces advancing. Can I borrow your fingers and Hold your on. hands right let now? Let me let me pause for a second. So he's he probably dra- he drags this man away who's been shot in the arm after he's been shot in the fucking head at multiple least times. Well, well probably twice, not. at least twice. Even though he had his fucking can on, he still got fucking peppered, yeah. and that's still giving you a concussion. He's been shot several different places, and he's but, fucking wounded. And what that the will... Steve Rogers motherfucker is this guy doing? Dude, this even if you okay, we know from obviously firearm experience, even with those tin cans, if the bullet doesn't all the way puncture, yeah, it's, it's still gonna give you the shock of it, and you're still gonna get a concussion. Yeah. Well, it can, it wasn't, From somebody who's had multiple concussions, fuck that dude. It wasn't a, <sighs> so. It wasn't until no, this guy, not the not Germans. The Johns, obviously, yeah, like he, no. he gets full respect, but fuck. Well, it wasn't until the Germans heard the French and army forces, American forces, uh, approaching, that they said, "Avida Zane." You know, <laughs> <laughs> when what's they, German for two? <laughs> Uh, Zwei. Zwei, <laughs> motherfuckers! <laughs> well, when German for, uh, reinforcements arrived, when the for- reinforcements arrived, Johnson okay. passed the fuck out. Finally, after and the adrenaline dump. Was taken, he was taken to the field hospital. What kind of EPOs was this motherfucker on? Yeah. By daylight, the carnage was evident. Johnson had killed four Germans and wounded an estimated 10 to 20 more. Oh, I'm giving him, I'm giving the upper end, of, I'm just giving him 20. Even after suffering 21 wounds, holy shit! In hand-to-hand combat, Henry Johnson had prevented the Germans from busting through the French line. And he later gives a quote saying, "Single-handedly, pretty much." Yes. To be fair, I'm giving him 20 because let's be honest, that man knew how to throw a grenade. Holy balls, dude! Wow. Okay. Oh. He he later uh, gives a quote with regards to this. You know. Your guys' reaction in, yeah. his, in his quote is, quote, there wasn't anything fine about it. Just fought for my life. A rabbit would have done that. Fuck. That's base. That's, that's like, you know. Going that's, back that's to. That's a typical soldier. Yeah. Well, going Who gives back, a fuck? That was, I was hey, doing man, my job. Doing my job. <laughs> well, going back to Alvin York, that was the same type of thing. 
you know, he killed all those all those Germans, and the first thing he said is, it wasn't me. I was just doing what I had to do. Yeah. And that's, that is a fucking real man right there. That is somebody that's like, yeah, I could have did more. You know he probably beats himself up and be like, I could have done more. I could have protected the my buddy there. I, I could have done this. I could have done more. I could have uh, led single-handedly, uh, you know, an assault on the Germans instead of letting them attack Yeah, us. and it's just like, I know we were cracking jokes there, but that kind of shit is, a, like, that's a whole nother level of a human. Well, to, to show how highly he, they, the French thought of him, the entire French force and campaign lined up to see two Americans receive their decorations. One was Johnson. He received the Croix du Guerre, which was France's highest military honor. It's like their That's medal awesome. of honor. Yeah. Fuck, dude. That's awesome. That's they, absolutely uh, awesome. They were the first he they were the first American privates to receive it. So probably Johnson amazing. and uh the other, you know, yeah, wow. the other fellow. Fuck, dude. That is Johnson that's amazing. Yep. That's absolutely amazing. Um his medal also included the coveted gold palm for extraordinary valor. No, obviously, yeah. It should have been platinum. In February of 1919, the Harlem uh, Hellfighters returned to New York for a parade up Fifth Avenue where thousands lined up to cheer for a regiment that had amassed a record uh, record of bravery and achievement. Um, among the nearly 3,000 troops was a small man leading the procession. Promoted to Sergeant... Henry Johnson stood in the lead car, an open-top Cadillac, waving a ha- to a handful of red lilies as the crowd shouted, Oh, you black death! And, that's, <laughs> and he got the... And you know what? I say we end it right there. Take a quick break. Fuck yes, dude. Because I need to walk this off because that was some deep shit, man. That was fucking amazing. Well, I still got a little bit more. Really? Yes. Oh, shit. Okay. So, so they, they, the, the crowd shouted, Oh, you black death! That guy's like, holy shit. Along there, and they, they shouted this along the seven-mile route that the procession took. You can't even take that as an insult. No. Because no. at that point in time, you, you literally Because in have a way, the, there must yeah. be like a little bit of a term of endearment because, yeah. Yeah, given his color, whatever, but he was a death machine. Yeah. He mm-hmm. proved it. A- absolutely. Fucking Fuck got dude. peppered with bullets and just shrugged it off. It's like... No, whatever. This is cool. I, I was like, holy shit about this. So upon his discharge, the army used Johnson's image to recruit new soldiers and to sell victory war stamps. Henry Johnson licked a dozen Germans. How many stamps have you licked? That was the quote. <laughs> oh, my God. Yes. Oh, jeez. Former President uh, Theodore Roosevelt called Johnson one of the finest, bravest Americans to serve in World War One. 100% agree. And coming from Teddy fucking Roosevelt, that's something. Yes. Damn. Man with the biggest stick on the block. Yes. Like hundreds of thousands of young men, Henry Johnson returned from World War One and tried to make a life for himself in spite yeah. of what he had experienced in, in the strange land, in strange and distant land. With dozens of bullet and shrapnel wounds, he knew he was lucky to have survived. His discharge records erroneously meant erroneously made no mention of his injuries and so Johnson was denied not only a purple heart but a disability allowance as well uneducated in way to his go early, fucking government at the time yeah uneducated in his early 20s Henry Johnson had no expectations that he could uh, correct the errors in his military record he simply tried to carry on as well as a black man could 
in the country that he had been willing to give his life for. And sacrifice all parts of his body getting shot at? Yeah. He made it back home to Albany, New York, and resumed his job as a red cap porter at the train station. But he could never overcome his injuries. His left foot had been shattered, and a metal plate held it together. Johnson's inability... Which is great in the the wintertime, especially being a porter. Like, when it's cold, especially up here, how cold it can get, and how, like... Deep, oh, yeah. that cold weather, like winter feeling and everything. Mm-hmm. Fuck, man. Johnson's inability to hold a job led him to the bottle, just like so many others. Oh, yeah. You know? uh, it didn't take long for his wife and three children to leave. He died destitute in 1929 at the age of 32. As far as anyone knew, he was buried in the in a pauper's field in Albany, which if you don't know what a pauper is, is basically someone who's yeah. yeah, it's just a throwaway yeah. grave, yeah. as yeah. fucked up as it is. A man who had earned the nickname Black Death in combat was quickly forgotten. The denial of a disability pension, the Purple Heart oversight, and the fleeting recognition, none of, of it surprised his son, Herman Johnson, who later served with the uh, famed Tuskegee Airmen. No shit! Really? Mm-hmm. Dude, so this is a lineage of bad motherfuckers. Yeah. The younger Johnson knew all about Jim Crow, second-class citizenship, and the systematic denial of equal rights to black Americans. But in 2001, 72 years after Johnson's death, a great and unlikely mystery was revealed to the soldier's estranged son that on July 5, 1929, Henry Johnson had not been buried in a pauper cemetery. He had actually been buried in a grave... In Arlington National Cemetery. Yes! yes! Vindication. Yes. He, historians had located Johnson's place of burial, and he was posthumously okay, still awarded in 1996 the Distinguished Service Cross. Awesome. All right. That no, makes that was, I'm sorry. Reverse. In 1996, he was awarded the Purple Heart. Okay. And then in 2002, he was awarded Distinguished Service Cross. Doesn't yes. matter. Doesn't matter as long as he got some sort of recognition for all the fucking hard work and bravery he yes. put out there. Yes. This motherfucker, I was like, holy shit. Now, I did find something else because I had to look it up because I'm like, this is bullshit that this guy is get, gets like no recognition. So uh, I have a picture here from timesunion.com. Uh, uh, James Dandles, the district president of the 369th Veterans Association, which was actually Henry Johnson's regiment, stands near the Henry Johnson statue at an event to mark the first annual Henry Johnson Day on Monday, June 5th, 2017 in Albany, New York. June 5th? Let's June celebrate 5th. it. June 5th. Fuck yeah. We're going to have a brief little thing for this man. Dude, what a bad motherfucker. And this was, this was uh, Mr. Johnson. Dude, he looks like such a well-mannered man. And he looks like an everyday guy. Okay, I actually they did they did I actually I think I may have found. Um, kind of want to go to Albany. There actually was a poster of of him actually fighting off the Germans. Dude, the, if you can find that the propaganda posters, I'll let me to, know and I'll I will put to, them up uh, for the show page. Yeah, fuck be, yeah, oh, dude. Sweet. Yeah, I actually, I, I did find it. I'll have to refind it. Okay, and yeah, I'll have to put that on. So okay. I'm not gonna lie. I need to walk this off right now. Yeah. Yeah. So with <laughs> that said, let's let's take a break. Yeah. Let's and, go get new uh, beers and you know yeah. come back for yeah. another round. Fuck yeah. Woo!
The Dark Windows Podcast is brought to you by The Great Courses Plus. The Great Courses Plus is a subscription video on-demand service with thousands of in-depth videos taught by some of the world's greatest professors. You'll always have something fascinating to learn about on there. With categories ranging from history to travel and everything in between, there's something for everyone. The courses I'm personally looking forward to the most are the 36-part series on the Vikings and a 24-part series called The Agency, A History of the CIA. If you go over to ageofradio.org forward slash darkwindows, there's an offer to get The Great Courses Plus free for 14 days. Stay ahead in life. Start your access today with 11,000 plus video and audio lectures on a variety of topics. Now, let's get back to the show. So we're back from our break. Whew. That was a, that was a good one. That was awesome. Yeah, hope, that was you, hope you like the content that you know the, the that. Um. <clears throat> hope you like the advert that we played. Yeah, that I think. If not, you know what? Blame Kevin. Yeah, or the other Kevin. Not hey, me. You can blame a Kevin. We're gonna blame Seth. Negative. <laughs> oh no. So you guys ready to finish this week off? Let's yeah, dude. <laughs> okay. What the fuck were you just doing? Masturbating. <laughs> I okay. was getting my white pen ready to roll. All right. Hey, what's your uh, whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> your white pen? Yeah, dude. Is it full of like white gooey stuff that you put on paper? Mm. It is a bistro chalk marker, marker cre, marcado de tiza. Nice. <laughs> it's from Marvy. It's a jizz pen. Sure. <laughs> what's so, it taste like, Kev? Eh, a little salty. Not enough. Not enough pineapple juice, but mm. no. You can always know. remedy that. Amateur. Whatever. Fucking Amateur. rookies. Hey. Right. So uh, what's your... Uh, yeah, let's get rolling. This is so the last one. So the badass Four that seconds. I picked... What? Okay. Sorry. So the badass that I picked for uh, for this year, I picked Henry Hammerin' Hank Elrod. <laughs> Hammerin'. Yeah. With a nickname like that, this guy was not a pussy. No, dude. He was a fucking badass. So Henry Elrod was born in Turner County, Georgia, September 25th, 1905. Before enlisting in the Marine Corps in uh, in 1927, he attended the University of Georgia and Yale University. So he's an whoa. educated motherfucker. So needless to say, he wasn't a fucking dummy. No, no, he, definitely know. not to get into Yale. After attending Student Aviator School in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, for a year, he came out a second lieutenant in February of 1931. Oh shit! Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, you'd be a lieutenant no matter what because you're college educated. Man. Yeah, that's. But still, though, like it's still you know, an accomplishment. Yeah, and I think to be an air, the, to be but a these, pilot, you have to be a lieutenant as well. At well, least you do now. To be a second lieutenant, that's I mean that's higher up. Yeah. So following his his graduation, he was stationed at the Naval Air Station in uh, Pensacola, Florida. Here he served as a company officer and a student aviator. In February of 1935, he earned his wings and transferred to the Marine Corps base in Quantico, Virginia, where he served as a Marine aviator until 1938. And if he didn't have enough shit going on all at once, he was also his squadron's uh, school uh, school personnel officer. So, <laughs> so was he the personnel officer for the entire school? Uh, for his his uh, Only squadron. For his, okay. Yeah. Wow. So Top yeah, kick or whatever they call it. A lot of fucking plates, you know. Yeah. yeah, a lot of irons in that fire. So in July of 1938. He was reassigned to a squadron in San Diego as a parachute material and personnel officer, where he served until 1941, when he was deployed to Hawaii. So on December 4th, 1941, he flew to Wake Island as part of Major Paul Putnam's VM. <laughs> Ten times fast. Yeah. <laughs> he he flew there as uh, as part of Major Paul Putnam's 
VMF-211 Squadron. Okay, say that in fucking English. This is the squadron numbers. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, Unit number and all that stuff. On December 8th, the day after the Japanese attack on Pearl Harbor, airborne hostilities began over Wake Island. Mm. So... I mean, it's like dogfighting, yeah. bombs oh, exploding, yeah. guns going off, yeah. explosions left, right, and center. And a lot of, a lot of people down. don't realize just how fucking quickly, like, from Pearl Harbor, it was just like, boom, we fucking swung back mm-hmm. immediately. Well, yeah, because think about it. You attack us, and we're always on ready, especially during this time when yeah. we had the the rumor mill kicking around that there is something going to happen. We don't know when, but something will happen. And then when an incident finally did happen... It was like, all right, fine, you fuck with us. Guess what, motherfucker? We're coming at you full force. There ain't no easing into this pool. We're jumping straight in. Well, is, is, uh, what is it? Uh, Admiral uh, Yamamoto said? I yeah. think it was Yamamoto said, I've, I believe I are, I have, or I believe I have, woken a, woken a sleeping giant. Yeah, dude. Sleeping dragon. And he's also the one that said that uh, a, uh, what the fuck was it? An assault on mainland on the mainland United States would be a suicide mission because there'd be a rifle behind every blade of grass. Pretty much. Spoiler alert: probably be right on that one. So the Marines on but they did they did get this far though. They actually did come as far as uh, Oregon. That's true. The Marines on Wake Island, which was an area of less than three miles total, so it's a tiny, uh-huh. tiny little island. Yeah, it's just a, like a, a hop off point. To get from, from like here exactly. to the gas station. Yeah, yeah. It, it was literally just uh, like a refuel station for planes. Yeah. yeah. But these Marines on Wake Island would be the first Americans to come face to face with Japanese soldiers during World War II. Really? As Elrod and his squadron were doing their regular area patrols over the island, they received a call to scramble the remaining fighters on the ground to intercept incoming enemy aircraft. Ooh, take on the Zeros. Now, he wouldn't be on our list if he wasn't a fucking badass. Of course Well, not. yeah, and you picked them, so generally you have a tendency <laughs> to pick a certain type of person. I, For some reason, I'm drawn towards like people that if they weren't like in the military, you'd go, he's a fucking psychopath. Yeah, that's a guy that you just like, <laughs> you look at him and be like, don't talk to him, just just walk away. I'm not saying he's a serial killer, but there's a strong possibility he's a serial killer. Yeah. <laughs> now, the 14-year aviation veteran slammed the stick of his grooming F... Four F dash three Wildcat oh. forward and dove downward through the clouds and came nose to nose with a formation of twenty two Japanese aircrafts. Whoa! A mix of Nell class bombers and the mega dangerous A six M zeros, which are one of my yeah. favorite planes from World War Two because the zeros were fucking amazing. Made by Mitsubishi. Mitsubishi. Yep. Well, and think about it. They're still talked about today as some of the best planes yep. that have been ever created. And I've always made the joke, if I ever bought a Mitsubishi, anything, I would have a, I'd get a white one and my license plate would just be zero. Oh, I would just put, never mind. <laughs> I was about to make a Speed Racer or Initial D reference, but I don't think anybody would get those. <laughs> Moving on. Yeah, I mean, the only reason why they were actually beat was because of the Tomcat. Yeah. We had some good planes. I believe it was Tomcat. The Germans had really good fucking planes, too. They were actually the first ones that developed jets. But the Mm. Japanese planes were fucking amazing. I could could almost kind (laughs) of... I could kind of picture him, like, cracking a little grim as he... A little grin as he flipped the safety off of his guns and flew at nearly 300 miles an hour into the teeth of the Japanese Navy. Just like... Okay. <laughs> well, Let's fight. Finally got to. Let's dance, buddy. Now, he was is he by himself or was it was his, was his squadron? Uh it's a very small detachment cuz they were just doing uh aerial patrols. They were literally flying in circles over the island oh, okay. just okay. keeping an eye out for ship. So basically the his him and his uh wingman. Wingman, right? Yep. yep. 
He weaved through enemy fire from the Zeros as the bombers pounded the Marine position on the ground. He picked his targets and ripped them apart with six, yes, six 50 caliber Browning machine guns that were mounted to the wings of his wildcat. Fuck yes, I love Brownings. <laughs> So as Elrod was taking the was taking the fight to the Japanese, he was joined by the remaining four Wildcats from his squadron. The rest of the American fighter planes that had been scrambled never made it off the ground as they were the first targets of the bombers. So at this point in time, the only American planes still left available for use are in the air. So not a not a huge number left. Yeah. As the Marines uh, as the Marines bobbed and weaved through the hellstorm of Japanese fire, Hank Elrod would score two confirmed kills. Elrod had been skilled and angry enough to shoot down two of the fastest and most maneuverable aircrafts of World War II. Which is a feat into itself just to get one. Right. Because they were known for their mobility, versatility, and how fast they could, you know, go from point A to point B. And if I'm not mistaken, I think he was the first American pilot to score a kill on a Japanese aircraft during World War II. Because at Pearl Harbor, yeah, we shot some down, but those were with naval guns. Like off the ships. Yeah. When you're just spraying and praying and just going, yeah. okay, try to direct it, get ahead of the ship or the plane, so that way it flies into it. Yeah. Well, unless unless some of the they, they, uh, pilots actually did get off the ground, right. so I'm not quite sure. But like I said, I'm not 100% sure, but there is another fact in here that I am 100% sure on, and it's fucking awesome. So despite the fight-to-the-death mentality of, of Hammer and Hank, the VMF-211... It wasn't enough to stop the attacks. The Marine base would be bombed relentlessly for the next few days. Eight of the remaining aircraft on the base would be destroyed before they could get into the air to help with uh, any kind of defense. Support. Yeah. Ammo dumps and caches were uh, would be blown up by the Japanese bombers and artillery from the Japanese Navy. Just when you thought things couldn't get any fucking worse for the Americans, at 0500 on December 11th, the Japanese made their full-on amphibious assault on Wake Island. Oh, no, that's not a good sign. Obviously, it's not, but still. Hank Elrod leapt out of bed beaten, and starts beating feet down the tarmac. He could uh, he could not. Did he at least get dressed or was he probably still in his he skivvies? He was probably in his fucking undies at this point. Or like in sleep pants, no socks, no shirt. Just saying, <laughs> fuck it, I got to I gotta get to work. So he could not know that there was almost a dozen Japanese destroyers that were steaming directly towards the island at this point in time. Uh-huh. The, uh, the Japanese destroyers were firing five-inch guns. Oh, so th- that's a that's a big gun. Yeah, yeah. Take a, like a beer can and look at it and be like, oh, well, that's pretty big. Yeah, add some more inches on that boy. <laughs> that's what she said. <laughs> Just saying. The Marines decided to throw the destroyers an arty party, returning fire with their <laughs> their coastal artillery guns. Elrod got uh, got the engine spun up and took off like a bat out of hell. Flew directly towards the Japanese fleet at over three hundred miles an hour. With two 100-pound bombs strapped to the underbelly of his wildcat. I got something for you, motherfuckers. <laughs> boom. L- Big did- bada boom. <laughs> little did he know that he and his two wingmen had just taken a slight right that actually turned out to be an on-ramp. Oh, yeah. And they kind of got onto the highway. Uh-huh. I think you know where I'm going with this. I don't. To the danger zone. Oh, my <laughs> fucking God. Yes! Danger zone. <laughs> okay. Kevin H, sing that as he's reading the rest of this. If we wouldn't get sued for it, I would totally put just the instrumentals underneath this. Sing it from a goose. Oh. So he and his I like Hot Shots better. <laughs> Fuck it. Fuck, Hot Shots was fantastic. <laughs> Cook an egg in that tummy. He and his two wingmen made strafing runs, raking the ships with 50 caliber fire. 
The ship returned fire, but they only had eyes for Hank. Oh. <laughs> and the awards of the John, of the immortal Probably because he was Cash. the only one there still there, but like, no shirt on, just flipping him off out the window. <laughs> Fuck you! In the immortal words of Johnny Cash, he made a good run, but he run too slow. There was a loud metallic clang and buzzers and klaxons and all kinds of shit was going off in Hank's cockpit. Only one lucky round from the destroyer clipped Hank's fuel line. Hammer and Hank didn't give one single solitary fuck. No, well, of course not. <laughs> he continued straight into hell. He uh, he had a target in mind, which was the 1,468-ton, 337-foot-long destroyer, Kisigari. Jeez. <laughs> the Kisigari had been slamming the coastal guns with 120-millimeter uh, gun sh- uh, guns. So the, these shells were roughly Still the like size and weight of a large German Shepherd. Obviously not the size, because that'd be a weird-shaped cannon to shoot a fucking so about dog at. anywhere from like 60 to 80 pounds. Yeah. That's fucking heavy. Yeah, that's that, big. And that's just the explosive parts of it. Yeah. <laughs> and just, that's the part that goes boom. Yeah. And just think if that was actually in a cannonball form, because how you know cannonballs were about that same size, some of them at way back when, yeah. and what they fucking did to legs and... What Whatever legs? else to bodies? What legs? What bodies? You do realize <laughs> that there would all Man. there would be just like a spray pattern. Yeah. <sighs> it's like throwing a fucking egg at a wall. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think the egg would have a better fight. So as Elrod made his approach, he lined up the sights, and this was way, way before the generation of like guided weapon systems and shit like that. So this was all done with iron with an iron sighting system. Yeah. <sighs> He delivered both 100-pound bombs into the driver's side of the Kisigari, <laughs> which had been carrying twice the amount of depth charges as normal. And the depth charges are the uh, like Explosives the big, like, spiny-looking mines that they drop down to yeah. uh, to kill submarines. Watch anything with a James Bond in water. You're going to see those little fuckers floating around there. Watch uh, Hot Fuzz. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, in other words, he's just like, Hey, he's moving with no deactivating. <laughs> Red October? <laughs> yeah. Oh, good movie. In other words, he's just like, eh. That looks about good. Yeah, wait, wait. I think I can do it. Ready? Star Go. Wars reference. Use the force. <laughs> but my aiming. No, use the force. <laughs> Motherfucker, just look down. <laughs> you see him coming in. He takes his hands off the sticks and blindfolds himself. What are you doing? Bro, bro, what are you doing? Oh, man, can you imagine? He, he, he opens up this. the slider in the, in the cockpit. He's like, got to get some air. Hold on. <laughs> Could you imagine like the guy who was part of the Kisigari just looking up and like, what the fuck is that? What is this crazy motherfucker? Oh no! <laughs> At this moment, he realized he done fucked up. Ah <laughs> oh, shit! <laughs> you're the the record scratch. <laughs> so you're probably wondering how I got here. <laughs> so I joined like, the Japanese Navy, this and this like was the, the worst. They day told of my me life. I would see the world. I got to Hawaii. <laughs> fuck. Remember, Hank says was the guy that like he'd be. His his cockpit would be open. He'd be flying along, smoking a fucking cigarette. No cigar. Let's be honest. This is a man. Cigar. He's like smoking the cigar. Also, he sees enemies. He's got a corn cob pipe. Just he's like General MacArthur in the air. No, no. Just a middle finger up in the air. Shoot this finger, you fucks. He's definitely smoking the cigar. He's like sees planes. All right, lock and roll. Let's go. Boop. Flicks it out. Closes up the hatch. And when he flicks out the cigar, he waits to find that one zero and goes. Got him. Uh, ah, what the fuck? Let's be honest. If this had taken place in the 80s, he would have been in there in jean shorts, a cutoff shirt with a fucking, like, just an American flag the 70s, on it. 80s, like, 80s aviators, the big mustache, just smoking you do cigarettes and a mullet. You <laughs> kind of described uh, Chuck Norris there. Right? Except for smoking a cigarette. Hey, Stop. man. Chuck Norris doesn't give a shit. <laughs> Chuck Norris would just punch his ear out of the sky. Exactly. Right. So, anyway. <laughs> <laughs> 
In antici- okay, so they, they had these depth charges there. Okay. The extras in anticipation of having to deal with um with, water forces with, with attacks from from summer from US submarines. Yep. yep. Total makes sense. Turns out that loading all this extra ordnance onto the plane makes it a little heavier. No, I'm sorry, onto the ship was a really bad idea. And an extra extra explosion. They should have dragged in a little dinghy out the back. <laughs> because when those bombs hit. Oh God. Boom. Oh. Big bada boom. He put both those sons of bitches directly into where those were. Ouch. The Kisigari cr- exploded, cracked in half, and sunk like a stone. The ship sunk from the time of impact of the bombs Let me guess. to the time it sunk. Let me guess. Uh, I'm going to say uh, close to roughly t- 10 seconds. Hold on. My turn. I'm going to bet a dollar. <laughs> One dollar, Bob. Eight minutes. <laughs> I was close. Eight minutes from the Shit. time the ship cracked in half and it went bloop, but down to the But realistically, bottom. though, for a ship that size and how much weight and taking in water, that's fairly quick. It's very yeah. quick. That's not like a slow burn. That's quick. So to add to his scorecard, Henry Elrod would be the first American pilot to sink an enemy warship in World War II. Well, does that count as one or does that count as ten? What? Seeking a warship. That's, that's 10 points. That's that was, easily 10 okay. points. He, he was the first American pilot to sink an enemy warship. So, no, that's what we're World saying. That's not just yeah, a single point. Exactly. That's so it's like, legitimately no. 10 points. So, yeah. so a score right now is 10 love. <laughs> <laughs> Easy. 14 love. We're going real tennis. So Elrod limped I'll his... I'll go with it. 14 love. Elrod limped his wounded wildcat back to the base, and the Japanese retreated to the Marshall Islands to regroup. Obviously, their fucking main death cruise machine, their Death Star just got fucking, yeah, fucking sunk. Luke Skywalker just no, flew sir. into this motherfucker and blew it up. No, we cannot surrender. You just see what that motherfucker just did? We surrender. What's Japanese for two? those? Uh, I don't know. <laughs> See you later, motherfucker. Sayonara. <laughs> so when when Elrod landed back at the base, he went back in to get some sleep. This would be the first time he would sleep in three days. I believe it. So he did all of this shit being awake, being, after being awake for 72 fucking hours. Randy Quaid in fucking Independence Day. Hey, boys. <laughs> I'm back. <laughs> fucking tweaker living in Vermont now. Repeated Japanese attacks between December 11th and the 23rd would destroy... All of the American ships and aircraft on Wake Island, leaving just under 500 Devil Dogs there to defend the island against a couple of heavy cruisers, two aircraft carriers, and a shitload of escort ships and destroyers. And a partridge and a pear tree. So, and Hammer and Hank with his knife. So you got five fuck, like 500 fucking Marines on this island. They have no ships. They have no planes. And they have the entire fucking Japanese Navy steaming directly towards them at this yeah, point in time. Yeah, but they all have, you know, K-bars. Yeah. And Dude, such a badass knife. Yeah. So Tell me he gets to, he gets he's gonna fight hand in hand. As the Marines waited for reinforcements <laughs> from Hawaii, they watched helplessly as the sea came to life with transport ships carrying some twenty five hundred <laughs> Japanese <laughs> troops. Oh no. Having his plane destroyed just days before, Elrod would live up to one of the most famous quotes about the about Marines in general. Every Marine is first and foremost a rifleman. All other conditions are secondary. <laughs> there's, a, there's a man. Yeah. He was one of the few surviving Marine officers on Wake Island and was ordered to take command of an infantry pl- uh, platoon that would take the extreme flank, uh, the extreme right flank, I believe, 
for the incoming Japanese landing. Private Joker. His platoon consisted of mostly pilots, ground crew, artillerymen, and a couple of civilians from the island. Like, I'm guessing, like... Um, Regular island men yeah, like that are just there to help or, out. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. They set up defensive positions, digging trenches, and setting up MGs. When the Japanese hit the beaches, they were led off the landing crafts by officers, some of which, sticking to their warrior roots, were carrying katanas. So, dude, that was of the time, though. Got, like, like, that's the warrior code right there. Exactly. If you don't have a gun, you have your sword. When you have your sword, you die by your sword. Exactly. And you know what? That's one thing. I know, like, a lot of people will talk shit about the Japanese from World War II. They were some of the hardest fighting motherfuckers on the face of the earth. Well, like, not only that, they had a massive code of honor. Exactly. And they mm-hmm. they stuck to it. There was uh, Bushido. Mm-hmm. You know. Live and die by their sword and, you know, don't don't lose your honor over anything. Right. So Hammer and Hank command, uh, commanded his men to open fire with the MGs and ordered the civilians to keep running between the ammo dump and the front lines to keep the MGs fed. He, uh, he'd actually, as this whole thing's going on, had actually given someone else his M1 because he, they were a better shot than he was. So he just continued to keep giving his men orders and keeping them motivated and focused. So he's not up there firing. He's just like, boys, just, okay. We're, they're coming in on this side. Fire here. Focus. Fire. You know, wherever he's. Yeah, yeah. He's taking. He's taking command of yeah. his of his situation. Kind of having to feel like a memory of like Apone from Aliens. Bunch of badasses over here. You know, another day in the cores. Another day in paradise. Yeah. Like just trying to keep motivation high. So he had stood up to get a better look at the incoming Japanese attackers, and was struck in the chest by a single round, uh, most likely from a six point five uh, Arasaka. Mm-hmm. Which is a, it was basically, if I'm if I could be wrong, but I'm pretty confident it's about the same thing as like a like a Japanese version of like a uh, a thirty out six, so it would have been like their standard long rifle batter rifle kind of thing, heavy hitter, but and not. After he dropped to the sand, the Japanese would swarm the position and capture or kill the remaining men in his unit. Shit. After the attack, the Japanese would hold Wake Island for the remainder of World War II. But so, they went out fighting. Right. So for being a superior badass, shooting down two zeros, blowing up a motherfucking warship, then leading a defense on part of Wake Island, he would be promoted to uh, he'd be promoted to the rank of major on November eighth, nineteen forty six. His wife Elizabeth would be awarded his Medal of Honor and his Purple Heart. Awesome. If you want to visit the American, this American hero and bona fide badass Henry Hammer and Hank Elrod is interred at Arlington National Cemetery in Washington D.C. Section twelve. Marker 3246. And I kind of wanted to end it with a quote from a movie that I kind of found really fitting for the story. Marines die. That's what we're here for. But the Marine Corps lives forever, and that means you live forever. Name the movie. (laughs) So with that all being said, I would like to do one thing. We all have a beer. I want to raise a beer up for these men and women in our military. We'll give it a little clanky, a little clanky. And... Listeners, depending on what you have for a drink, raise it up in the sky. Yes, Say sir. thank you. Be proud of where you are. If you don't live in this country, just be proud of your military. Exactly. And if you're cool with it, I'd like to have a moment of silence for those who did not make it home, those who made it home and have had some dark times happen to them. Just to remember those that have given us all around the world the freedoms that we have. Yes, sir. We're gonna, let's do our moment of silence in lieu of, uh, of our sign-off. Absolutely. So, thank you, everybody. So, Thank you. Um, Thank you. Till next time. Absolutely. No, no stuff at the end. Nope. This time. Happy so, Memorial Day. And be safe. Be better people.
you know, we love you. Cheers.